Uh, we've been walking through all the, the texts in the Bible, or at least the, the foundational texts. If you get, if anyone wants to steal my little black book, you can get all the texts, uh, in the Bible, uh, about, about prayer. And we've learned that, we've learned that prayer is not, not simply talking to God, that, that prayer is, is specific, specifically asking God to do something. It's one of the greatest blessings of the Christian life, and yet a blessing that the Bible tells us we often neglect for various reasons, be they abundance, disobedience, doubt, all these things that the Bible mentions uh, that are things that keep us from this wonderful blessing, be able to come to the God of the universe as our Father uh, and ask Him uh, for things, ask Him to do things. And so uh, we've seen the, the hindrance to prayer, and yet we must pray. We must pray, and we must pray rightly. There are, of course, wrong ways to ask God for things, both wrong things to ask for and wrong ways to ask for it. If you want to, if you want, if you want, if anyone wanted to learn about prayer, I would advise you, I would suggest first learning how not to pray. So if you ever wanted to learn how to pray, I would suggest first learning how not to pray, uh, what not to ask God for, or how not to ask. And I only say that because as we saw, that's always where the Bible begins. The Bible always begins by laying out these, uh, how, how not to pray. And so we spent weeks going through that, weeks diving into those texts before we ever ask God anything to, to know what we shouldn't ask and how we shouldn't ask for it. We, we saw that and, that, and that is that is good. But now we're to the point where, okay, you know what not to ask for. You know how not to ask for it. Now, now I want you to pray. How should we pray? And that's what we've been answering in the Lord's Prayer. In this model prayer, after Jesus had told us how not to pray, he gives us this model prayer of all the things, a list of things we should always be asking God for. A list of things. It should be in every one of our prayers, the model upon which all our prayers should be based. And so we ask God for his name to be holified. We ask him for his kingdom to come. We ask for his will to be done on earth. And then the second half, the second table of the Lord's Prayer then becomes prayers not about God and His kingdom and will but and His name, but prayers that we're asking for us. So we ask for God to give us, uh, us our daily bread. And remember the focus on us as we talked about, to give us our daily bread. For God to forgive us our debts. For God to not lead us into temptation, into times of stretchings. And now, now uh, we're on to this last request. Now we're on to God delivers from evil. And when I say now, I mean since last July. I looked. Since July, we've been looking at what it means for God to deliver us uh, from evil. And as more, more of you keep coming up and saying, apparently, I, I still need this. Uh, because what we're doing as we're looking at this last request is going to deal with the matter of, of spiritual warfare. A war that we're all in, whether, hopefully we're in it, uh, whether we know it uh, or not. Because the evil one, as we saw when we talked about delivers from evil, we began by looking at why do we need to be delivered from evil? And we saw with the evil one, uh, his evil ones and the evil ones of the earth, what their desire is for the Christian. That the evil one hates Christians, that he makes war on them, that he sends his evil ones, both demonic and human, to sort of wage war against the Christian, but God promises to deliver us from the fight. God promises deliverance. And so that's what we're praying. That's what we're asking for him in this final request. The last thing we ask God uh, in every one of our prayers is for him to deliver us from evil. So let's, let's stand, let's read this Lord's Prayer again, and then we'll dive into uh, this final verse a few more times as, as we're starting to look at, well, how do we fight this spiritual warfare? And we're going to see how God 
works uh, this prayer and this deliverance in our lives now. So beginning at verse nine, Jesus says, pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. All right, you may be seated. So before we're going to get into the actions of being delivered from evil, we're going to get into uh, how God equips us in the, in the fight against evil in our spiritual battle, the actions we take to be delivered uh, from evil. But God has some mental truths for us before that, some mental things to get locked down uh, so we can latch onto these going into the fights or in preparation for the battles against evil that, that we will face. Ways to, now you can think of ways to view the battle rather than ways to, ways to fight the battle. Uh, and so we've seen the, the promises of God, the things that he tells us to know about the spiritual struggles that we can go through against the, when the evil, when evil comes against us, when the evil one comes against us, what sort of things should we know? And can we know to be true? Not things that we're doing, but things we know about what is being done and what is true about the fight that we're in. And so we looked a few weeks back on how God makes the promises that he is, he is guarding us, that the Lord is protecting us. He's guarding us. He's limiting uh, what our enemy can do. He's sending even his angels to protect his people. In in those sorts of things, the intention of God is to take away our fear so that we don't feel like we're alone. We don't feel like we're abandoned. But then last week, we saw that God doesn't just take away our fear. He replaces it with something. Uh, This is, I guess, back to the old put off and put on. Uh, he replaces it with something good. So we empty our heads of fear. Got no reason to be afraid because we know these things are true. So the fear is gone, but what do we fill it with when it comes to our spiritual battle? What do we fill that, that void with? Well, we fill it with joy. So rather than being afraid going into the battle, we saw that we can have, when we think about our spiritual wars that we're in, we can think about our battles against sin, against evil. We can have joy in those battles, joy, uh, joy because we know that the battle shows that we're really Christ's. Remember, we saw how our, our battle proves our faith. It is uh, to perfection, to completion, uh, having all the parts, lacking nothing that comes through that battle. So rather than being discouraged by the battle or fearful of the battle, we know the battle has a purpose and a joyous one. It shows you're really Christ's. Because you're fighting against sin, something your your heart would not naturally do. So the fight that you're fight, the fact that you're fighting, the fact that you're in the battle should bring you joy, because you're fighting. You're on Christ's team. But the other thing we saw is not only does it bring us joy because we're Christ, the Bible tells us it should bring us joy because we're not theirs. We don't belong to the evil one anymore. The fact that the evil one is fighting us, that we need to be delivered from evil, is a joyous thing. Because it shows us that evil no longer has us. We're not on his side anymore. And so we can rejoice in the battle because we've got a different uniform than we used to have. We're no longer on the side of evil. Uh, and, and our fight shows that. The fact that evil is coming against us shows a joyous thing that you're no longer 
on the side of evil. So in in the sort of mind game of spiritual warfare uh, and being delivered from from evil, we see uh, when we see our deliverance from evil rightly, we know that we have no reason to be afraid and, and we've got every reason to be filled with joy. But again, God is not done. So we've got more mental stuff that we're going to see this week. More truths to consider about the battle we face or about the battles we might face one day. Truths that are going to be true for every battle you are in. A a few more things to remember or to know uh, in the battle, to remember when you're in the battle, to know when you see the, the battle coming so that you can have confidence in God's faithfulness, more confidence, more reasons to not be afraid, and more reasons to be filled with joy. And the first one we're going to find back in that passage in 1 Peter. So turn back to 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, this passage in verse 3. That's one of the longer passages talking about the, the things that we're going through, the sufferings that we're going through, and how we're able to rejoice in those. We're going to see some more truths about how to think about that battle that will help us uh, to know uh, um, really how, how, or to understand how we're going to be uh, delivered from evil. So what else, what else do we need not to just, just do, but to know? Again, we've seen already, we need to not be afraid. God's guarding you. Uh, we need to be filled with joy. God's growing you. So what can you know going into the battle? God's guarding you. Don't be afraid. God's growing you. Be filled with joy. Uh, what else can we know? Um, what else can we be confident in as we're asking God, sometimes asking the battlefield? Today, what we're going to see uh, is that one thing you need to know is sorrow is not defeat. Sorrow is not defeat. What can happen in the battle and in our spiritual battles is we can think that in order to have joy in the midst of the battle, that that means we just have to be smiling through the whole thing. That we have to act as if nothing hurts, uh, that we have to do the old, you know, all right, shake it off, rub some dirt on it, uh, and, and get back, get back at it. And we're gonna see uh, that God says that that's simply not true. That the Bible tells us that these fights that you are in will bring you genuine, real sorrow. So the first thing we're gonna see is the Bible tells us that your sorrow is real. Your sorrow is real. First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded. Who rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So here, here Peter acknowledges to us that the various trials that we go through will grieve us, that they will bring us sorrow. And they could have translated it that way, that they will make you sorrowful, right? They will bring you, bring you sorrow in, in our Christian. In the Christian's battle against the evil one, our part in the war for the kingdom is a real war with real losses and real hurts and real pains and real fiery darts from the evil one that will grieve you. It's all very real. Very real pain, very real grief. So the Christian doesn't fight against the evil one simply by slapping a fake smile on their faces. 
You think, of, think about the example we saw in Job. The example we saw in Job. Tell me that Job wasn't grieved at the loss of his children. You can't read the book of Job and tell me that Job wasn't grieved, wasn't broken and sorrowful as boils raged across his skin. Job isn't just walking around, you know, whistling a happy tune the whole time, saying, none of, I mean, none of this pain is real, none of this pain is real. Those, that sort of idea is more Buddhist than biblical, right? It, it's, it, it has more to do with, with like, Plato than, than Paul, I would say. Because we actually know that he was grieved by what he went through. We know that. Look at Job chapter 2. Job chapter 2. We're going to see this example of a man who was going through the, one of the greatest descriptions or most detailed descriptions of what our spiritual war is like. What it looks like when the evil one comes against God's people. What he's wanting to do, what his desires are, and what the results might be. Job chapter 2. Go down to verse 11. Now, When Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort. And when they saw him from a distance, they didn't recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept. And they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. And we, we often give Job's friends like a bad rap. You know, we're normally going through the book of Job trying to figure out if, which one's the good one. Or if any of them are the good one. Uh, but they're pretty great in their response to his suffering. They, they weep for him. They, they tear their robes. They, they sprinkle dust on their own heads. They, they cry out to God for him. And then they just, they just sat there with him. They just sit there with him for seven days and seven nights. Just there for him. And they, they didn't say a word. Now, now, today it's not unusual for people to sit together and not say a word because all the, they're both on their, all on their phones. But here, they're actually caring for him. They're sitting there just listening to him. And, and why did they not say a word? It says they didn't say a word because they saw how great his sorrow was. They saw how great his suffering was. And so they didn't say anything. Now, this is a good point in, in counseling. Uh, I used to hear people that would sometimes say, you don't need to say anything. Sometimes you don't need to say anything. But then the reasons they would give for why you don't need to say anything were just pop psychology and they'd start talking about people's personalities, introverts and extroverts and where they were on the, you know, the demonic enneagrams or whatever that they use uh, to figure out people's uh, whatever. Uh, and they would say, this, and then you don't talk. But here we see biblical reasoning that, that sometimes it actually is good to just not, not say anything. Here we see it in the biblical text. Sometimes it is good just to be there. But either way, what, what, what's, what's the point? The point is that what Job went through was hard. He had just gone through a grievous battle. Now, all the truths about spiritual battle was still true for him. All the things that we saw. And we got some of them from Job. We know, like we saw in 1 Peter, we know that God is guarding him. God was guarding him. God limited the enemy that came against him. The enemy was limited by God's faithfulness. We know that. The battle, the battle that Job went through was growing his faith, right? He's being guarded and he's being grown. All of those were still true. 
It's proven he's not on the side of the enemy. All these things that should give us joy, all those things are still there. And yet the battle that he went through with all those things still being true, God hadn't abandoned him. God was growing him. All the things we see behind the scenes and we know to be true and are still true. And yet the battle was one that left him saddened, that left him grieved for his very real losses. In fact, we don't have to just assume that from him sitting there grieving. Job actually tells us. Look in Job chapter 3. This is from Job. Job himself is going to tell us. It's Job who, who, as the Bible says, the one who doesn't sin with his lips. Listen to what it says in, in Job 3.24. For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the one thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest. Instead, trouble comes. So Job, Job, an example to us on how to handle evil that we need to be delivered from and that we will be delivered from. Job says that instead of daily bread, he's gotten daily sighing. Instead of wine that gladdens men's hearts, he's got groanings that fill his hearts with sorrow. And what can happen for us is we can read the book of Job, and Job can sometimes become almost fabulistic, almost like just this fable about how to deal with, with bad guys coming against you or the enemy coming against you. Job's a story of how to deal with suffering. No, Job is the account of a real man who went through very real things, with very real emotions. He had children die. He had, these things really happened to this man. Now, they are there written down for us and for our instruction, but they are not just some fable. This is a real man who went through real grief. Job wasn't a fake. For Job, Job was living a nightmare. He says, what I fear comes true. But one, where in the midst of the nightmare, he was still able to trust God. Not by denying that what he was going through was hard. Not by denying the sorrow. But by finding a God who is greater than the sorrow. Everything he'd feared in his life came upon him. Everything that he dreaded. And he didn't act like that was no big deal. What did he say? He said, I'm not at ease. I'm not quiet. I don't have rest. What do I have? I have trouble. The battle that you are in or the battle that might come your way and that might bring very real casualties into your life with it. Casualties that the evil one wants to bring into your life. You don't have to act as if the battles that you're fighting are not hard. You don't have to act as if when the evil one comes against you, it's easy. And there's no pain and there's no sorrow. You don't have to do that, one, because that won't be true. It's not true. Grief is real. Our adversary is a strong one with arrows made to pierce. Fiery darts aimed at you. And two, not only is it not true because the sorrow is real. Again, we're not Buddhists. The sorrow is real. But two, it actually diminishes what the Lord is doing when you act like what you're going through is no big deal. 
When you're going through spiritual war and the enemy is coming against you and you act like that's not a big deal, then you act as if God's deliverance from evil is not a big deal. Weep, cry, sigh, groan, tear your clothes, put ashes on your head. We, we don't sing in the battle. So we saw last week the joy and, and singing in the battle. We don't sing in the battle because the battles are not real. We sing because we know we'll win, even in battles like these. The hard things only grow you when they are hard. If they are not hard, they are not going to grow you. The stretchings only stretch when they pull. And if there's no stretching in what you're going through, then you have no hope of growth in that thing. The stretching is for the growing. The hardness is for the growth. It's how the Lord does it. It, If it's not hard, then it's not proving your faith. The very thing we saw last week, the, the, the joy of, hey, look, this is a proven, proven is something. It's going to fill out what is lacking in me. Well, if it's not hard, well, then it won't be filling that out, will it? When you pray, deliver us from evil. Know, know that the sorrow you feel as you pray that, whether you see a battle coming, or you're in the midst of a battle that has left you very wounded and taken much from you. Know that the sorrow you feel is real. That the sorrow you imagine will be real. The sorrow and grief that you are feeling are real. And that's what makes your joy so full. The brightest sunrises come after the darkest nights. If you're grieved by the casualties of war that the evil one has brought upon you, that's not a sign of your failure in the fight. That's a sign you're actually in the fight. This might be helpful for us to understand. Sorrow doesn't mean you've lost joy. Sorrow and joy don't cancel each other out. You can be very sad at what's happening and that not touch the joy that you have in your life. If you're sad, it doesn't mean you've failed in the call to find joy in the battle. You can do both. Look at Job chapter 1, verse 20. Job chapter 1, verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and fell on the ground and worshipped. So here's Job. Grieved, grieved by great losses. So grieved that he tears his robe, that he shaves his head. I bet those are things that none of us have done when our grief is so great. Like, I can't remember the last time someone walked into church with torn robes and a shaved head. Uh, and you went, man, you've had a bad week, haven't you? Uh, like, tell me about it. And you're like, well, don't get ashes on the pew. Uh, you know, it's never, that, 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 we've never been to that. And yet, yet Job could do those things, could be so grieved That he reacts like that and yet still fall on the ground and worship. The point of of Job isn't for you to read about what he went through and for your Bible to point at the pages of what Job went through and say, hey, that's real grief. Hey, you're not going through what Job went through, so quit your bawling. You know, that's not what the Bible's doing. You're not supposed to read Job and go, golly, none of my kids have even died, you know. Uh, Oh, I guess I can't be sad. Uh, The point of Job is for you to see 
that you've had brothers in the past who've walked this broken path before you and come out worshiping on the other side. That have come out worshiping not on the other side, but have come worshiping in the midst of it. That you've got a fellowship who've sat on the edges of craters left in their own lives. Craters left by the devil and his angels there, and yet they made it. And not only did they make it, they came out singing. You can lament the casualties of spiritual war in your life. A very, again, a very real war against an unearthly enemy. We can be grieved by the losses and yet not lose the song. Don't let the enemy trick you into thinking that sorrow is a sign of defeat. Because sometimes the richest rejoicing is sung with a tear in the eye. So remember, your sorrow is real. Your sorrow, your grief is real because the battle is real. And the battle's got to be real for your deliverance to be real. But for some of you, you're saying amen to all of this. Because your problem, your problem isn't admitting it's hard. Your problem is allowing yourself to feel the sorrow too much. Your problem is that you let the sorrow swamp you. For you, the danger, the other, so the ditch on the other side of the road is to allow the sorrow to become your song. So in our battles and the sorrows that we're in, the one temptation we're going to have is to be, say, oh, this isn't hard. This isn't hard at all. I'm not sad. This is great. Even though we've had some really, we're going through a battle against the evil one that we need to be delivered from with very real casualties that we're going to have in our way, consequences of sin that can mar us, mar our family, mar all those things to be true. But the other ditch on the other side of the road is to just sort of wallow in the sorrow, to let it wash over you. To where, again, it becomes your, it's, it's how you view your life. Your life, this is just my life. My life is just one of sorrow. Sorrow is not a stanza in the hymn of your life. It becomes the refrain. It's like the chorus. It's just the chorus. It's just what my life is. It's the chorus. I'll have a good verse. And then here comes the chorus. More sorrow. Uh, and you think that is, that is what your life is. And it, it might, you might even think it's the title of your life. Like if you title your life, so-and-so, a dirge, you know. Uh, a dirge played on the oboe. Uh, you know, just something really sad. Uh, maybe even the bassoon. Yeah, yeah, some of you, you think it's bassoon level. For you, you've got to realize, you have to realize that the sorrow in your life does not mean that sorrow is your life, okay? You can can have sorrow in your life, great, grievous wounds that the Lord is telling you are very real, and yet that sorrow that spiritual war is going to bring against you, and so you're crying out, deliver me from evil. That sorrow that is in your life does not mean that that sorrow is your life. Sorrow is not your story. Sorrow is not the Christian's story. Listen to what Jesus says. John chapter 16. What Jesus says about about being sorrowful and yet confident that your sorrow will turn to joy. John chapter 16. We're going to see the sorrow that's going to be brought into the life of the disciples and yet the confidence that Jesus gives. Hey, your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. Be very great sorrow. John chapter 16. Go down to verse 20. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. So stop it. No, he doesn't say that, right? Uh, What does he say? But the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. Example he gives. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human has been born into the world. So again, Jesus talking to his disciples here in this passage about, you know, coming crucifixion and the, the sorrow that they're going to feel at that. And, and so here they are. I mean, the, these disciples, they're in the midst of the greatest stage of spiritual warfare ever, right? Uh, they're in the midst of the, the, the great sort of battle where the, the enemy is going to be uh, defeated in, in the cross. And Jesus tells them, hey, you're going to be sorrowful because of what you're going through. You're going to grieve. You're going to lament. You're going to weep. And notice he doesn't say, like I said, he doesn't say, stop it when you do. He doesn't say, hey, you're going to want to weep and you got to realize it's not real tough. What's tough is what I'm going to be going through. Now that's tough. He doesn't say that to them. He doesn't say, and if you, if you weep, it just shows you're too earthly and not spiritually minded enough because you're crying. He doesn't say if you weep, it shows that you've turned me into an idol uh, or anything like that. He says that their sorrow is real. Their grief is real and it's expected. But they should also expect what comes after the sorrow. That for the sorrow, that for the Christian, sorrow is not our story. It's part of our story. The, the, the fights against sin and the wounds of the enemy are real. They're part of our story, but they are not our story. Our sorrow will be turned into joy. And he compares it to birth. He says, you've got the sorrow, you've got the anguish of labor, but that anger, anguish, that sorrow is necessary for the birth. It's what has to happen for the birthday. And then, when the child is born, when the seed of that anguish bears its fruit, then joy comes. And that's what, that's what this is going to be like. You're going to be sorrowful. That sorrow is necessary, but it's going to bring about joy on the other side. And this is, exactly, this is exactly what Peter was telling us about. Exactly what Peter was talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1. Down in verse 6 and 7 when he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. And then verse 7 that we didn't get to when we read it earlier, look at what it says. These various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we are being grieved by what we're going through. We're being grieved by these trials, but we're also able to rejoice. We're able to rejoice because we know what the outcome of every grief will be. What the end of every story of grief will be. And the answer for the Christian is not just more grief. We're grieved by trials, but we also rejoice Why? Because we know what the trials that we go through are accomplishing. We know the sorrow isn't the story. The sorrow is not our song. Sorrow is not the Christian song. Sorrow is in the song, but it is not the song itself. Some of you are dealing and have dealt with in your lives 
lives some really hard spiritual warfare. Evil that the enemy has brought against you. Things that show you just how fallen this fallen world is. Stuff that the enemy has thrown at you. Stuff that your father has brought to you to grow you. Be sad. Be grieved. That's treating the war as real. But do not be defeated. Do not think that sorrow is just your story. Do not think that grief is just your song. The sorrow that you have gone through or are going through are but labor pains. And when the fruit of that sorrow is born, joy will come. And then comes the song. Let's pray. It can be sad and not very uplifting to just have a sermon on sorrow. But we must understand that that is what the evil one is wanting to bring into our lives. And what God, even as he limits what the evil one can do, will allow to be brought into our lives. The Bible is very clear that what was brought into Job's life, all that came with it, was brought ultimately also by the hand of the Lord. So I want us to pray two things. First, I want, I want you to ask God to deliver you from evil by helping you see that sorrow is real. You say, God, deliver me from evil by helping me see that the pain, the anguish, the sorrow, the grieving is all real. It's real. I want you to do that because I want you to, I want you to see that the grief is real because that's going to show you that the battle is real. If the grief's not real, you're not going to be afraid that you're in a fight. If you need to see the reality of the sorrow, then you're going to put on the armor in every fight. You're not going to let just one of those fiery darts in because you're not afraid of them. If you know that every fiery dart of the wicked one can bring with the consequences you never even imagined, then you would put up that shield of faith and you would put on every armor of God that you could find in his word. You would do it because the grief is real and he wants to bring it to you. And for some of you, he has. The grief is real because the battle is real. If you doubt the grief, if you deny the weeping, you're not making more of God. You're making less of the battle, and that means you're making less of the victory that Christ brings. If you make less of the battle, then you make less of the deliverance. The Christian makes much of Christ, not by, not by downplaying every storm that Satan throws our way. Not by saying, oh, that's nothing, that's nothing, that's nothing. The Christian makes much of Christ, not by downplaying the storms, but by showing that our houses stand even in the midst of great storms. Real storms with real waves and real floods and real winds. And yet a Christ that is able to anchor it all. If you act like the wind and the waves are nothing, then you risk acting like Christ is nothing and that his deliverance is nothing. The waves, the griefs, the sorrows, the pains are real. The battle is real. Praise God, so is your Christ. So is his deliverance. Ask God to deliver you from evil by helping you see that the sorrow that comes in spiritual war is real so that you would be ready and so that you would fix your eyes on him. Next, I want you to ask God to deliver you from evil by showing you that your sorrow is not your story. 
For some of you, you need to know that because of the sorrow that you've gone through. And for some of you, like Job, you're picturing the sorrow that you might go through. Some of you have begun to think that sorrow and sadness and disappointment because of the story of your life is just apparently the story that God wrote for you. Your marriage isn't what you thought it would be. Your family's not what you thought it would be. Your job isn't what you thought it would be. Your health isn't what you thought it would be. Whatever it is. Your life, your tale, whatever. And you've begun to think that sorrow is apparently just your song. The sorrow is apparently just your story. The story that God wrote. And that's just not true. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying that your grief isn't real. I'm not saying it's not sad. I'm not saying it's not horrid. I'm not saying it wouldn't break me to go through what you've gone through. But the grief that you're going through or the grief that you have gone through is not your story. Sorrow might be your reality, but it is not your eternity. The the grief that you're going through is a real thing, but it is not everything. Trials might be the verse that you're in right now. Sorrow might be the song, the words that you're singing. It might be the verse, but it is not your song. So Christian, don't steal God's glory. Like Peter talked about. Don't don't steal God's glory by treating your grief as if it is nothing. And don't steal God's glory by treating your grief as if it is everything. Sing. Even if you have to do it with a tear in your eye. Father, we come to you today because we are... It can be easy, Father, for us to talk a long time about spiritual war and yet treat it as if it will never happen or as if it will just be this sort of metaphor for internal struggles or whatever to fabulize everything, to make it just morality plays and stories so that we know how to live our lives. And, but, but, Father, the evil one, wants to bring grievous pain into our lives. And the things that we go through, the the battle that we face, will leave us genuinely wounded. Sometimes even scarred, Father. Help us to see that that sorrow that we feel in the battle is real, that the sorrow that makes us run to you for refuge is because this battle is real and the wounds are real and we have to cry out to you like Job did. We do tear our clothes. We do put ashes on our head. We fall down and and we worship. Father, help us to see the genuineness of the sorrow because the battles are real. But help us to know also, Father, that the sorrow that we go through is not our story. It is part of our story, but it's not our whole story. It's not everything. It might be in our life, but it is not our life. And so, Father, as we ask you to deliver us from evil and to understand what that means and to give us the confidence that we know, let us know to expect this so that when we're sorrowful, we won't feel like we're failing. And so that when we're sorrowful, we won't feel like you failed us. You've told us about these things. You've told us of the grief that would come. You've told us of the sorrow, and yet you've told us that these are but the pangs of labor. And the fruit of joy will always come. Because you're always faithful. 
And so, Father, help us, help us to sing, God. Help us to sing with joy, with confidence in you. Help us to sing even if we have to do so with a tear in our eye, Father. And what joy to know. You promise one day you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And for that day we hope. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.